The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. How is everyone doing? You good? It's great to be together. It's awesome to be together and I'm really excited about what the Lord has put on my heart this morning to share with you and um, we're going to try and finish a little earlier so we can have a bit of extended worship time at the end and also just give space for the prayer cards so you can pop them on the, the trees. That would be great. So if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and find those, locate those and turn to Jesus' most famous parable, which is, oh wow. I was expecting, I was expecting the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son or some call it the parable of the lost sons. Uh, Whatever you call the parable, it's found in Luke chapter 15. And so if you've got your Bibles open now, please find Luke 15 and we're going to come to this incredible parable and think about a particular aspect of this incredible parable in just a minute. So it's Luke 15, Luke 15. Now, As a member of the mouse species, I've been guilty a number of times. In fact, it's almost a weekly occurrence of what's classically been dubbed the man look. The man look, you know what I'm talking about? That special gift that we guys have, that special anointing that we guys possess, where we can manage to completely miss an item in the pantry or the bathroom cupboard that is blatantly staring at us in the face. Just last Friday, Friday night, I was looking for a toothpick. And I said to Natty, Where's, where are the toothpicks gone? She said, they're, they're in the bottom cupboard. I said, okay. So, you know, they're normally in the high cupboard, but, but Nat moved them, typical. And I looked in the bottom cupboard, and I opened it up, and I was rummaging around trying to find a toothpick. And I, I couldn't find it. Seriously, it wasn't there. And I said to Natty, Natty, where are the toothpicks? And she said, they're right there. So, oh, the man look, the man look. You know, women, you mums, wives, you know all about the man look. But, but before you start ribbing us, ladies, about us being typical blokes, the whole man look thing, I want to kind of even up the playing field this morning by pointing out that when it comes to Scripture, we all, male and female, can sometimes take a man look. We can be guilty of the man look. Sometimes we can come to a text or a verse and we can completely miss what the verse is trying to communicate and what it's trying to get across. And this is no truer than when we come to the pantry door of this best known famous parable, the parable of the lost son. It's so easy, church, to come to this parable and take a man look and completely miss one of the main items and one of the main truths that Jesus wants us to see in the story. And that main item and truth is that he is our elder brother. He is our perfect big brother who who went out of his way, great cost to himself, to, to find us, to rescue us, and bring us back home to the Father. And so this morning, as we conclude this second leg of our series, Come and Adore Jesus, we're going to think about this wonderful title, Jesus Being Our Big Brother. And if you're new with us today, five weeks ago, we we, we jumped into the second leg of of a series we've entitled Come and Adore Jesus. And we've been investigating in this second leg kind of less common titles of Jesus. And so five weeks ago, if you were here, but if you're new, we we jumped in and we looked at Jesus being our champion. Who, Who was there for that? The opening. And then we looked at Jesus being our bridegroom. 
one who's faithfully committed to us. Then we looked at Jesus being the Alpha and Omega. And then two weeks ago, Jesus being our defense attorney, our advocate. And then last week, we noticed that Jesus is the Almighty Son. And and really, the main purpose of the series has been to make our worship of Jesus more complete and more sweet by beholding his multi-dimensional qualities that are reflected in these various titles. And so today we're going to conclude this second part of the series by reflecting on this wonderful title that sadly doesn't get much airplay in the church, namely Jesus being our elder brother. And so if you've got your Bibles open now at Luke 15, we're going to jump in at verse 1 and read down to verse 3, this opening scene that sets up the parable. And then we're going to leapfrog down to verse 25 and read to the end of the parable this final scene which is all about this other elder brother, not Jesus, the true elder brother, but this self-righteous, bigoted elder brother whom we as Christians don't want to be found emulating. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Luke used this word, muttered. Muttered. Now, I don't have time to get into this word, but this word has bad press in the Bible. This is the same word used to describe the mutterings of the Israelites in the wilderness. They muttered, muttered, complained, complained. In Exodus 15, they muttered against Moses. In Exodus 16, they muttered against God. In Exodus 17, they're muttering against God and, and Moses. It's a bad, bad word. And so there's something in this here. They muttered. What did they mutter? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them, namely, the religious leaders primarily, this parable. And then Jesus gives his audience, primarily these religious leaders, three parables. The parable of the lost son, the parable of the lost coin. And then in verses 11 through to 24, he tells them about this wayward son. And we know the story. He receives his inheritance and he squanders it. He squanders it. And then we arrive at verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because, well, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's spitting the dummy. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. In other words, being disrespectful, he's about to say to his father, hey, I'll tell you a thing or two. Look, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. How tender. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This morning we're going to reflect on on what it means for Jesus to be our elder brother. And then like we've done each week in this series, we're going to draw out some wonderful implications that flow out of this incredible title. But let's, let's pray before we get started here. Father, the truth that we're going to reflect on in this parable has the real potential to make our worship of Jesus 
your son, our elder brother, more complete and more sweet. And so would you, Lord, enable us to engage our minds and our hearts as we think about what it means to be the younger siblings of Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen. So Jesus is the true big brother, true elder brother. And for us to see this in the parable, for us to be impressed by it and warmly moved by it, we need to first understand one important thing about the parable, and it's this. We need to notice what's missing in the parable, the missing element in the parable. When when, when I first noticed this a little while ago, I, I was kind of really taken back. I was like, oh, I just never saw that before. It was like the, the man look, you know, I just like, what? I never saw this. And so I trust it's going to be like that for you this morning. And maybe this is going to be new and hopefully more than just intriguing, but inspiring. And so let me, let me back up a bit, the missing element. Jesus is speaking to whom? Primarily the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And what does he do? Well, he gives them a parable three parts to a parable, or, or, or maybe three separate parables, it doesn't really matter which. He gives them three, say three parables, and they're very alike, they're very, very similar, but especially the first two parables, they're strikingly similar. And so you, you're probably familiar with the first one, the, the parable of the lost sheep. And so you get this shepherd, he goes out to count his, his flock, it's probably morning time, and so he does a head count. He's like 96, 97, 98, 99, and oh, where is it? Where's sheep 100? And, and probably he would have done a recount because, you know, 100 lost sheep, sheep to kind of, uh, remember. And so he, he counts and, and oh, it's, it's gone. And so the little sheep's gone at walkabouts. And so what does he do? Well, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to call it quits. I've got 99 anyhow. I mean, one, what's one missing sheep? No, no, no. He really cares about his sheep and in particular this lost sheep. And so he goes looking for his little barber, his little sheep. And you know the story. He finds it. He finds it, throws it over his shoulders, and he whistles all the way home. And when he gets home, he calls his buddies and says, come around, let's party. And and they do. They have this rave party because of that which was lost. This sheep has been found, and it's safely at home with its shepherd. And then Jesus rolls into a second parable, the parable, not of a, a lost sheep this time, but a lost coin. And this time it's a woman. And she, like the shepherd, she counts her pennies in the mornings, seven, eight, nine, and oh, where's the tenth? And she probably recounted, and you know what you do sometimes on the tables. Like, yeah, I've got five on that side, definitely four on this side. I'm, I'm missing one. And like the shepherd, she doesn't say, oh, I've got nine. What's one little penny anyhow? No, no, she, she really wants the penny, this lost coin. It's likely that she was poor, and so she needed it. And so she, what, grabs her lamp. She, she, she lights the lamp. She grabs her broom. She sweeps her place from top to bottom, and, and she breaks into a sweat trying to find this coin. And then, lo and behold, after looking, she finds it. And again, what does she do? She calls her friends, and they come over, and they have a big sing-song. They have a big party because, oh, this coin, I lost it. And I really like it, and now it's been found, and so and So these two first parables, very, very similar. They, they, there's someone who loses something very dear to them, and then they go out of their way to retrieve it, and then when they bring it back, what? There's a, there's a party. And, and then Jesus rolls into the third and climactic parable, the parable of the lost son. And, and he tells his audience, and we read it, verses 11 through 24, about this wayward son 
and he receives this inheritance and he squanders it all and he finds himself in a pig pen desiring to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. He is in a bad way. Now listen, listen, here's the twist, here's the, the shocking part. What are you expecting? Pretend you've never read this before in your Bibles. Pretend you've never heard this parable before preached. But what would Jesus' original hearers would have been thinking? Okay, sheep gone out, shepherd saved the sheep, coin lost, woman finding the coin, son getting lost, someone is going to rescue him, right? Perhaps even his older brother? But it doesn't happen. And that's the shock. That's the twist in the parables. He's, he's going to ruin himself. He is ruining his life. And, and, and all the while, his big bro is at home. He's in the fields. He's not concerning himself with which concerns his brother. You know, growing up, I didn't have um, the greatest relationship with my little brother. Uh, four years younger than me. Which, of course, meant that he always annoyed me. You know, he got little brothers, little siblings. And being four years older than him meant that I always teased him. And bullied him. And that's probably why he annoyed me. And that's probably why I teased him. It was just kind of this constant friction. It was dog eat dog in my home. It really was. And yet when I saw someone else tease him or bully him, this big brother thing came all over me. And I was kind of like, like, you know, flash like lightning. Come right there to save him, to protect him. I remember this one time, this one guy, Christopher McAvoy, he lived on our block, our estate. And I looked out this one time, I said, hey, what's my little bro doing? And there he was, he was kind of running down the path beside Christopher McAvoy's house. And he was followed by Christopher McAvoy. Christopher McAvoy is in quick pursuit of my little bro. And I was like, what is he doing? And Christopher was a lanky kind of guy, and he was kind of lashing out, trying to kick him. I'm like, hey, Christopher! And he was like, what are you doing? I ran over, grabbed my little brother, my little world, shaky. I put my arm around him, you know, and I took him home. I took him safely home as his brother, because that's what good big brothers do, don't they? I mean, 10 minutes later, we were fighting again, you know. It was annoying me. I was bullying him, but 10 minutes earlier, I was like, hey, I'm your bro, man. You're with me. I'm your protector. You see, this is what this brother, this big brother in the parable should have done. He should have gone looking for his little bro who had ruined his life had squandered his wealth but he didn't he didn't and the question is why why didn't he why didn't he the answer is it was too costly for him to do so that's the answer he didn't go out because it was too costly for him how so what do i mean it was costly for him at two main levels number one it would have cost his reputation his reputation see you've got to understand something What this younger brother did to his father and the family and to the brother was unthinkable. It was was so, so unthinkable and highly offensive in this Middle Eastern context. Sons only received their inheritance upon the death of their father. And so for this younger boy to go to his dad and say, Dad, I want the family heirloom, you know, I want my, my cart of the family estate, was essentially saying to his dad, you, you might as well be 10 foot under because you're, you're dead to me because they only received the inheritance upon the death of their father. And yet the father was alive and well. He was alive and kicking. And so this was unheard of. This would have been absolutely shocking 
And of course, that would have meant very, very embarrassing. Embarrassing. And so in my mind's eye, I can picture the, the, the elder son, the, the older boy, walking down the street in his village, kind of overhearing the sniggers, you know, the sniggering of, of the, 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 the community members, uh, them mocking him and scorning him back behind their hands. And like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> the elder brother. Did you, hey, by the way, did you hear about his younger brother? Did you, did you know what he did? I can't believe what he did. And he would have heard those things. And so for this older brother to associate with his little brother would have attracted and invited what? Raised eyebrows. Because you just didn't do that kind of thing to your family. And and some of you would know that from a shame on a culture. Just don't do that kind of thing to your family. But this younger brother did do that. And for this older brother to, I guess, go out and look for him, he, he would have been associating himself with that younger brother who did that terrible, disrespectful thing. And so to save face... What does he do? Nothing. He stays at home. He stays at home because of this shame, honor, culture. Why? Because of his pride. Because of his reputation. He just couldn't lose it. The whole peer pressure thing. He didn't want to lose faces, so he didn't go out. But this this is the second reason. This is implied in the parable. Not only was it costly to his reputation, but also it would have cost him financially. It would have hit his pocket hard. You see, again, listen. He was the older brother, and that meant that he received a double portion of the inheritance. Two-thirds, because two sons, two-thirds. And the younger son, one-third. And we know what the young son did with his inheritance. He, he spent it on prostitutes, uh, parties, uh, pokies, and he probably betted on a few camels as well. And he had lost a whole lot. Lost a whole lot. <laughs> and, and so for this big brother to go and take him, back into the family, rescue him, bring him back into the family would have meant what? It would have meant that this younger son was again eligible to receive a part of the inheritance whose part? That's right, big bros. And he's not having a part of that. No way, not a bar of that. So it was just too costly for him. So what did he do? He did nothing. He stayed at home. Why? Because of his reputation and also because of his love of money. He wanted all the inheritance. He didn't want his nasty, yucky brother, rebellious brother to receive any part of it. Now, let me, let me ask you, how remarkably different is this to the picture we see of Jesus in the gospel? As our true big brother, as our true older brother, so unlike this older brother in the parable. Jesus not not being ashamed of us, not being embarrassed to be with us. This is what we read in Hebrews 2.11. This is a a short verse, but wow, it's wonderful. Especially in this context when you think about Jesus being our elder brother. Listen, he says these words. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Unlike the elder brother in the parable, not wanting to associate with his little brother. Jesus loves to be with us. He's not embarrassed by us. This is why in in verse 1 in the parable, in the passage, what what do we see Jesus doing? Sitting with sinners, the pimps and the prostitutes, the drug dealers and the gangsters, the down and outs. And they're sitting around him. they, they, They gather around him like bees around honey. Why? Because of his disposition towards them was sweet and wonderfully appealing and infectious. And these guys, these sinners, they were having their lives transformed and touched as they remained in his presence. And that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted their lives.
loves to be changed and he loved being with the sinners and he loves being with you. He loves being with us. I don't know what you think this morning when we worship, you know, kind of like Jesus is kind of out there somewhere and we've got to try and usher him down by how fervently and passionately we worship. He's already here before we get here. He's already here. It's like, oh, my people, yay, my people, they're coming. Oh, come on, gather around me. Come on, come on, enjoy my presence. Oh, come on, come on, be in touch by my love. He's not embarrassed by us in the slightest. That's why he didn't give a rep about what these religious leaders were saying. They're muttering. He didn't, he didn't care. He didn't care in the slightest. Why? Because he was happy to lose his reputation for the sake of love. For the sake of love. As our true big brother. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? But, but also in the gospel, we see something else. In the gospel, Jesus is the true big brother who doesn't selfishly stay at home like the older brother in the parable, thinking about his inheritance. No, no, no. He comes in the gospel. He comes to share his inheritance with us. And let me tell you, Jesus becoming a human being was a downgrade. The eternal, I'm not belittling humanity. We are made in the image of God. But when we're compared to the divine God, the Son of God, there is no comparison yet. Jesus counted the cost. And he accepted it. And he was willing to come to be a human, to be our perfect representative. Why? Why? To accept the ultimate cost of the cross. To die and metaphorically speaking, be thrown headfast into the pigsty where all our muck, the muck of our sin, oh yes, our younger brother-ish sin and our older brother-ish sin placed on him. And he died in our place. He died in our place. And on the cross, he was stripped naked, literally, no loincloth. Why? So that we could be robed with the Father's forgiveness, robed with his acceptance, be brought in to the family. That's why Jesus came, to share with us his own inheritance. This is why we're told in Romans chapter 8 that we are what? Co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs with him. What a wonderful, wonderful, amazing blessing. We, we receive because of our good elder brother. Jesus is the true elder brother. So question, as we conclude here, how should our lives be touched then and transformed by this wonderful truth, Jesus being our big brother, our elder brother? Well, I believe in one major way, and this major way has endless implications, and I just want to quickly touch on two. The major way first. There's this wonderful scene in Mark chapter 3. When, when Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers, they, they arrive at the place Jesus is teaching. And the house is, is, is crowded. Jesus is in the house and there's heaps of people in the house and you just can't get in. It's like Para Westfields on Christmas Eve, right? No parking spots, just crowded. You can't get into the shops, just don't bother. And so when his mother and his brothers rock up to the house, it's like, we can't get in. And so I don't know how, but they sent someone in. Maybe it was a kind of small guy, maybe like myself, you know, like a messenger, kind of works his way through the crowd, and he manages to reach Jesus. When he gets to Jesus, he says, um, Jesus, uh, you, your mom and your, your, your bros, they're outside. They, they want to talk to you. And then Jesus says these words in verse 33 of Mark 3. Profound. He says, um, who are my mother and my brothers? 
and, and instinctively you know, uh-huh, Jesus is about to say something that's really, really profound. And before he does, I mean, the messenger's there waiting to take the message back to Jesus' mom and brothers. He's just standing there. And, and Jesus, before he responds, he, he does this. He just looks around those gathered around him. And he, he looks into their eyes, no doubt. And I can just picture Jesus with a kind of a warm smile on his face and with love in his eyes, considering the fact that these ones had left all to follow him, counted the cost to follow him. And he looks around. He's very patient. He's not hurried. Jesus was never in a hurry. And then he looks back. And he says, here, here is my mother. Here is my brother. Here is my sister. And then, and then he says these profound words, the punchline in verse 35. He says, whoever does the will of God is my brother, is my sister, is my mother. In other words, if we are going to act and be Jesus' siblings, then, then we need what I call warm obedience. That is, we need to warmly obey the will of God. And what is the will of God? Let me take you to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's in the same gospel. Jesus transfigures. He, he shines through his humanity, his divinity. And, and Peter, James, and John are there and like, wow. And, and they're reminded of what? Mount Sinai, because it's very similar. There's smoke and there's, there's the thunder and the, the, the mountains quaking. And, and Jesus is showing his true divinity. And then you hear the voice, just like at Sinai, you hear the voice. And what does the voice say? The voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he adds, what? Listen to him. Listen to whom? The son. And so unlike Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the rules, the regulations, you do, 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 obey. No, 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 not now under the new covenant because we are to follow Christ. If you want life, if you want truth, if you want meaning and purpose and identity, it's in him. We're to listen to him. We're to follow him. And when we do, that is following and obeying the will of God. This is my son. Listen to him. And so we're to warmly obey Jesus as our elder brother. And this is why we've preached in this series, so that our hearts would be melted with the love of Christ. That we would, as we reflect on the fact, wow, he's our champion. Wow, he's our bridegroom. Wow, the Alpha and Omega. Wow, our advocate. Wow, the Almighty Son. Wow, our elder brother. That our hearts in response would say, Jesus, yes. Jesus, yes. And so when he, as our older brother, says, you do that, we go, okay, we'll do it. You don't do that. Okay, we we'll don't do that. Why? Because we're his younger siblings. And we want to honor him because he's won our heart. He's arrested our heart. He's captivated our hearts. Warm obedience. Listen, church, obedience by itself is not enough. It's not enough. The, the older brother in the parable meticulously obeyed his father. And, and who was he representing? The Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law. Look, listen, they would put us to shame. They were so meticulous in their obedience. They would put us to shame, and yet it was all the stench in the nostrils of Jesus because it was done from a hard, cold, religious, selfish, greedy heart. It was a warm heart. And now look, here's the other danger. Some say, well, because of that, legalism, uh, you know, all you need is warmth. You know, you don't, you don't need obedience. There's warmth in your heart. It's just grace, grace, grace. Just love, you know, you don't need to obey. And equally, that is a danger too. Because if you adopt that position, you, you, you're going to have to take your Bible and chop out most of the New Testament because it's filled with stipulations and commands. Do, do, do. Without which, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so what do we need? We need obedience. 
We need holiness, but it needs to be warm-hearted obedience. And how does that come? Well, I've just said, by having our hearts melted by the fact that Jesus gladly gave up his inheritance so that we could enjoy it with him. He gladly, gladly left it all, lost it all, and retrieved us in that far country when we were so far away from God. When that hits your heart, when that starts to melt your heart, Jesus becomes your treasure and you start to warmly obey him. Yeah? All right, two two ways that this obedience is to show itself. Um, two, Two ways. Number one, we need to love each other. Since we are the siblings of Jesus, since we are equally equally loved by him, surely, surely, as brothers and sisters, we're meant to love each other. Surely. We're meant to care for each other and protect each other. This is plastered all over the New Testament to love and care for one another. I just want to take you to one passage. I love this. Hebrews 13.1. Listen to what this author says. <laughs> Keep on loving one another. As brothers and sisters. Do you, do you love the emphasis? Keep on. What does that imply? We're going to annoy each other. We're going to get up each other's noses, beneath each other's skin. We're going to be culturally clumsy. I went to a baby shower yesterday. Uh, Sheila's, you know, they're Indian and they, they do things a certain way. I was so clumsy culturally. I mean, I started to eat before I was supposed to eat. Nat had to tell me off. I was like, you couldn't wait, could you? That's so so hungry, you know. Yeah. Doug was there. He saw me and hiding behind us. Culturally clumsy, and we, we will be with each other. I'm going to step on your cultural toes. Guess what? You're going to step on mine. We're going to annoy each other, offend each other. But listen, listen. We're to love each other. Keep on loving. Why? Because we want to honor our older brother. Why? Because we're his siblings, right? We forgive each other. We extend love and grace to each other. We open our homes for each other. We're hospitable to to each other. Yes, because we're brothers, we're sisters, we're family. We're the family of Jesus. So listen, if you've got a grudge against a brother or sister, drop it. Drop it. Go to them, talk to them about it. Yes, be honest. Sit them down say, look, this what you did really hurt me, but but we're we're siblings. And I'm going to forgive you. And let's, let's move on. Let's move on as brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. Yes, we're supposed to love each other. Number two, this flows out of the first. We're to love the lost. Now, we are not the elder brother, meaning we're not the saviour, which is good news. (laughs) God doesn't expect us to be the saviour of people, the saviour of the lost. But we do have the spirit of our elder brother in us, so we can increasingly resemble him by loving the lost. And how did he live, love the lost? Well, in the parable, in verse 1, what did he do? He ate with sinners. He mingled with them. The riffraff of the community, the down and outs, the broken, the pimps and the prostitutes, I've mentioned them. He sat with them. Why? Because he really did love them. He really did care for them. And listen, we have his spirit in us, the spirit of this elder brother in us. And so we too as we've mentioned a couple of times the last few months, we're to eat with our friends, yeah? We're to sit with them, our colleagues over coffee, lunchtime. We're to do life with our friends, get to know them better, just as Jesus did here. He got to know them truly. He wasn't just their teacher from afar, their rabbi, and they followed him. No, he sat with them. He ate with them. He wept with them. He prayed with them. We're to love the lost that way. But but also, amazingly, 
We're to love even those who aggravate us and annoy us and get right up our noses. It's amazing, isn't it? That in the parable, Jesus has the father going out to the older brother. And that older brother represented, we know, the Pharisee. And the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. They were Jesus' enemies. And yet in the parable, he has the father, namely himself, going out to the Pharisees, this older brother, and saying, come on, come on, come in. Come into the party. Don't, don't stay out. Don't stay away. Come, come in. He's been incredibly gracious. Jesus was intending for this parable to win their hearts, these enemies of his, to woo them into the kingdom of Christ. And so we too, because we have his spirit, are to love even those who might be our enemies, those we struggle to get along with. Why? Because we're the siblings of Jesus. Why? Because we want to honor our elder brother. Amen? So come on, let's, let's praise Jesus. Thanks, guys. You can now come, John. It's all good. We stand.